Good afternoon, everyone. Very glad to see so many here. They made an announcement that there was going to be a handsome young man here to preach to you today, and I've been looking around to see where he is. I don't know who that is. Anyway, <laughs> so you got an old man said. It's very good to be with you and appreciate that we have such zeal to come out, and uh, it looks like we are growing again. For a while during the pre-Christmas and right after Christmas, I hope everyone didn't take off for Christmas, but our attendance was down, <laughs> but now we're all back, plus other people are coming. And I think part of it may be just because of the prophetic things that are happening. Uh, I know how human nature is. And also, of course, Passover is coming. And as we approach the Passover, well, we're going to have a bigger attendance as we nearly always do. And uh, so I'm very grateful. Do remember, brethren, we just have one more Sabbath here. Just one more Sabbath here. So if anyone's not here, any of your friends or relatives, tell them about it. Next Sabbath is the last Sabbath here. And then we're going to that Masonic Hall over there. You have the map and look at it carefully. The service will be there at 2 o'clock. And one reason we're going there, of course, is because we are outgrowing this and we don't want to break the fire regulations. In fact, we're having to have the overflow room where people have to see it on TV and there and can't be here with you in person. And within a few more weeks, if we kept growing, why, well, we wouldn't even have room there. So we'd have to people put in rooms all over the building. And we don't want to do this. Many of you had said you do not want to have two services. We talked about afternoon services and morning service. So this keeps us all together. And I think it will work out well. So we are grateful for that. The work of God moves forward. We're very grateful for the new stations. And certainly the new time we have on the Word and Network is producing very good fruit and bringing in good responses. And Mr. Smith's program last week produced over 5,000 responses. The program the week before that also produced over 5,000 responses. And we are moving ahead. I think as we add more stations and these prophetic events speed up, certainly we all need to pray about it. But I hope God will get us up to eight or 10,000 responses a week. And even though the World Tomorrow program that Mr. Armstrong had and later the presenters got even more than that, they had at one time 157 uh, stations, big commercial stations, concurrently. That is all at one time. And we don't even begin to have that many commercial stations. So we're grateful for what God is doing, and He is doing a lot with the few of us. And as some of us ministers have said, and I think it's been announced before, but just pra paraphrasing Sir Winston Churchill, he said, never in the field of human conflict has so much been owed by so many to so few. And there are few of us comparatively. Even though we're growing, we're very tiny compared to, you know, the big churches of this world with 10 or 15,000 or million, I mean, or 20 million. And the Roman Catholic Church, of course, over 1 billion human beings. So we are tiny indeed. We're still the little flock and in one sense the tiny flock. But God is giving us a greater and greater power and capacity to do the work. So we can be very thankful. And as these prophetic events speed up, it is going to be very exciting. I think it's going to be traumatic. I know uh, Mr., I don't know who it was, maybe the song leader, uh, Dr. Winnale, or maybe it was Mr. McNair, but it started out with you. Some of you have had a challenging week. They use that term challenging when it might be difficult. Well, we're going to have the most challenging time in human history just ahead of us. And I think most of us realize that. But brethren, having been in the church of God 
and even the work of God in the sense we were all so much a part of the work even when I was in college over 61 years ago. So as one who's watched these events all that time for about 61 and a half years, I really feel I can tell you now, semi-publicly, we're not out before the world, but I want you to know and our brethren around the world as they hear this later, I sincerely feel that we really are now beginning, not finishing, but beginning the gun lap. You know, in a mile run, and I was the star miler for my high school all three years, not that that makes me great. We were a small school in a small state and all that, but I, that was my specialty. I was in the golden gloves, but I was certainly worked, built better to run the mile. And in the mile run, you have to keep going, keep going, keep going. Don't give up. And you can get very tired by the third lap. Often they start out with the spurt and then slow down, and then they really slow down, many of them during the third lap because they're getting tired and panting and their legs are getting tired and wobbling, and some even fall over along the way or fall across the finish line or whatever. But at the end of the third lap, they shoot the starting pistol again. They don't do that in other races, only in the mile run. Some of you might have wondered what you mean the gun lap. That's only in the mile run. They shoot the starting pistol again. Bang! And that sort of jars you and gives you that extra rush of adrenaline. This is it. We're coming into the final lap, and we've got to get going or else. And then that stirs you up if you're that kind of person to be stirred up, which I certainly was. That's called the gun lap. And I hope all of you, brethren, can be stirred up to want to finish the work of God because I really feel, and I think most of you can realize why I'm saying this, because of the news we've been seeing on television the last week or so, we're in the final phase now of the work of God. And I don't mean the last two or three years. We may have five or ten more years left. Probably at least five more, and could be ten more, but we don't know. But, you know, you young people think ten years is a long time. I'm looking at Jessica here. She probably thinks ten years is a long time. Well, when you're 80 years old, Jessica, it doesn't seem very long, you know. <laughs> ten years ago seems like yesterday when you're older, and uh, it goes by very fast. And the older you are, the faster it seems to go by. Anyway, we're in the gun lap and starting the gun lap and need to realize that. And I hope we can get stirred in the right way about that. We've had tremendous events ex happening all over the world in the last few days. I don't want to take my whole time describing all those events because I wouldn't have time to give the spiritual things to help you. But brethren, just think about it. I'm listing four or five of the main big events that have been underway. One of them is... This terrible, and many of them are now striking, not just in Gentile lands, off in Indonesia or Bangladesh or somewhere like that or in Africa. They're striking Israel, and God is going to punish our people. And I don't want us to ever feel superior to other people in the wrong way. We shouldn't do that at all. But he uses other people. He's going to use the modern descendants of Assyria to punish us, not because they're worse than we are, and not because they're dumb, they're the smartest, some of the smartest people in the world. But they're very capable, and they can turn that capability and organizational ability into a ferocious military machine, as Adolf Hitler did, and so on. But I'm partly German myself. We're going to be, God is going to use different races, different nations, to bring Israel down. He called Nebuchadnezzar, my servant. He called the king of Pharaoh, my uh, king of Egypt, I mean the Pharaoh, my servant. 
he called Cyrus, my servant Cyrus. He used these different leaders to punish his people and to fulfill his purpose. They were carnal, but God was using them as his servants. And he's going to use a whole variety of people of different racial and ethnic backgrounds to punish the British descended and American people because of what? Because they're better or because they're worse? No, because we are God's birthright people. We ought to have been doing some certain things because we had some blessings. We're the ones that published all the Bibles. We're the ones that sent the missionaries and the doctors and everybody all over the world and the teachers. But we, having all that knowledge, turned away from God. And God is bringing us down to chasten us As God says in Hebrews chapter 12, God rebukes and chastens every son he loves. Not every son he hates. God has rebuked and chastened me because he loves me, not because he hates me. He rebukes and chastens every son he loves. And we need to think about it in that way. Mr. Gwen gave a very fine sermonette and talked about, of course, how If we love God's law, nothing offends us. We don't get all upset. I could have got all mad and offended when I was sent away to England to get me away from someone because they were sinning. I was not sinning, and that was told me clearly, but I needed to not be there to make them feel bad. And so I was sent away to Hawaii for a while, and some of the insiders told me that later that in their own words. They knew that, as hundreds did, I think, at Pasadena, knew exactly what was happening And then when I was in the college, Deputy Chancellor, when Mr. Ruddleson was there and Mr. Turner, suddenly I was jerked out of the college right in the midst of the first semester and sent into kind of a semi-exile in Glendora, California, and told not to attend the headquarters church regularly, just visit, you know, a few times a year, and that was it. And there was not given an office, even though that had been promised that I would be given an office And my wife got right in the face of the leader and said, Are you bringing my husband out there to be in all these doctrinal meetings? And he said, Of course, that's the main reason. We want him in all these doctrinal meetings. How many of those doctrinal meetings did I attend? Zero. (laughs) They wanted to get me out of there. And later, four or five of the key leaders directly acknowledged that I was kicked out, which I knew, but I was glad to hear it from them. It still makes you to feel better when they admit it themselves, you know because I would not go along with the changes. And that was true. I would not go along with the changes, and I still would not go along with the changes. I don't care if they send me to Timbuktu or Antarctica. I would not go along with those changes which were damnable and which were heretical and which were awful. And I hope none of you would want to go along with those changes either if we tried to change the church into that kind of stuff. But at any rate... We could get offended by things when we're changed or this or that happens. Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing will offend them. And that didn't mean I took every one of those things perfectly. I had my moments. And I'm sure some of you will have your moments, you know, if your your your, your salary's cut in half, as mine was a few times, or you were sent into the into put in the doghouse, so to speak, for a while, or whatever it is. But you try to take it with God's help in a right way. A blood of physical proportions has just hit Australia. And that's what the prime minister said. A flood of biblical proportions is hitting that part of Israel. And then after that, as was reported, I think Mr. McNair read it, 
They've also had this terrible, one of the reporters said, a typhoon, I wrote down, or a cyclone, a terrible tropical windstorm came through and caused a lot more damage. And as our minister there, Mr. Tanner, reported, when God's people turn away from him, he punishes them. And they're one of the leading nations in the world in promoting homosexuality. The big gay pride parade in Sydney, Australia, is one of the big, biggest gay or pervert prides, pervert parades uh, in the world today. And God is not honoring those people. He's letting them be brought down. And they are our people, as we know. Some of you are probably Australian uh, descent. So we have that. God's beginning to do that to Israel. Now thousands of people in Great Britain, and it's beginning to be tens of thousands. There have been a number. In fact, I, maybe uh, Mr. Dixon saw in my briefcase, I had a whole bunch of clippings. I said, I'm not going to take these all up there. I can't read clippings all day. I've got clippings to back all these things up. Most of you have read this stuff. But thousands of British now are leaving the Church of England, and they're going back home to the mother church, the Roman Catholic Church, and dozens of bishops, full bishops, not just their elders, but bishops in the, in the Church of England are leaving and going back home to Mother Rome. God indicates that is the great church that's going to take over the name of Christ, of course, at the time of the end. It's already happening. That's significant, brethren. That's not just an accident. That didn't happen five or ten years ago. That's happening now far more than in recent times. The whole Protestant Reformation is slowly being undone, as some of these articles are brought out. Thirdly, the United States and some of the British Commonwealth nations are in a truly awful financial mess. And again, we've talked about that before and had articles on that. Many of our own cities and states in the United States are going bankrupt. They're going broke. They owe tens of billions or hundreds of billions of dollars beyond what they can pay. And they're having to lay off dozens and hundreds. And later, within the next couple of years, thousands of their employees, all kinds of local and state employees and the employees of industry and, of course, doctors and not doctors, but uh, nurses and teachers and all these kind of peoples will be laid off. And then industry, just the regular workers out there, more are going to be laid off. We're having a little respite now for a year or two because of the tremendous money printing machine that Chairman Bernanke has laid on. And so the dollar bills are being poured out, which is going to mean terrible inflation uh, down the line. So that's giving them a temporary respite. But right after that, watch out. Watch out below. And it's going to hit hard and as I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, frankly, brethren, the demons know things that we don't know. They are perverted in their understanding and interpretation of the events, but they do know things. They are brilliant spirit beings. And they have come up with many of these demon prophetic people and people that uh, talk about the age of Aquarius or spirit messages. They think, in fact, they indicate something big is going to happen in 2012. Is it going to be the end of the world? No. They may say that, but they're wrong. It will not be the end of the world. It will not even be the beginning of the tribulation. Will it be the age of Aquarius and this great breakout of peace to occur? No, it won't be that either. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of stuff, though. A lot of big, terrible, shocking things will no doubt happen in the next calendar year. And I think as we watch world events, it appears to me that 2011 is a prelude to that. 
You're getting these shocks, the whole Middle East coming apart and these terrible floods and all this kind of thing. So we do need to realize that this is just a prelude to what may happen next year and we need to prepare for some big things happening next year and next year is only about 11 months away. So let's be praying and close to God and be ready to walk with God and love His law and walk in His law so we don't get offended and so we don't get upset or turned aside by anything. As I said, they have a recent 60 Minutes program on television where the uh, one of the main uh, analysts was saying this is a, a day of reckoning that is coming. And her name was Meredith. <laughs> I like that. But that was her first name <laughs> and not last name, Meredith Whitney. And she was calling, telling about the terrible things that are going to happen, how the states and the municipalities were going broke. And she's a top uh, financial analyst in New York. So this is beginning to hit, and people all across the country are losing their jobs, and far more, far more than now, are going to lose their jobs over the next 18 to 24 months. That's what I'm trying to say. It's just beginning now. When that happens, what's going to happen here? You're going to have job riots. You're going to have food riots, perhaps, as people can't get enough to eat. In the meantime, inflation is already taking off in the food area of the economy, as some of you know, and there have been many articles on that, and so on. So these events, brethren, are going to change our lives. They really will. Your life's not going to go along just like this. It's not going to change it dramatically in the next two years, but you will see a definite change, mark my words, two years from this month. February of 2013 will be quite different from February of 2011. And after that, of course, it will get even worse as we get closer to the time of the end, the very end of this age and the beginning of the Great Tribulation. Fourthly, there's absolute chaos, as we've already indicated, across the entire Middle East. Tunisia over toward the west of North Africa has already overthrown their president and has a new government. Then the rioting has begun in Egypt already, the largest single Arab nation with 83 million people. And most of you have seen that night after night on television. I don't watch it every night, but most nights we've turned it on and see what's going on. And the young people are out there, mainly young, but now they're being joined by the women and by the children and by older people, and everybody's getting out there. These angry young men are the ones that started. Why? They're out of jobs. And their Muslim way of life and the other ways of life is not producing the kind of jobs and the kind of opportunities that they want. And, they, you know, when you get hungry, things happen. And people in this country are going to get hungry, too. So let's be thankful we have jobs, if we have a job, and be grateful for what we're doing. Egypt is blowing up, and Yemen now is beginning to be uh, upset. And then Morocco, the beginnings of an overthrow occurring there. Jordan, the same way they were showing on television last night, and some of you know that they have already replaced the prime minister of Jordan. They have a king there, but now even some of the angry young men are being disrespectful to the king himself for the first time. Things are spreading and they're getting worse. And Lebanon is also beginning to be affected and other nations across the entire Middle East. They showed on television the other night just Egypt, a great big huge nation, maybe the size of Missouri and Kansas and Arkansas all put together, something like that, a big nation. And then down at the bottom, here's this little tiny nation, Israel, all alone. 
And then Glenn Beck was showing. My wife watched that part later. I go to bed before she does. <laughs> and she said they showed a map of the whole Middle East, showed all these different nations, and, and little Israel is just tiny all by itself. If the situation devolves in Egypt where the Muslim Brotherhood eventually takes over, you go read about it. I, I didn't bring the clipping, but they are dedicated. That is part of their charter to destroy the state of Israel. That's part of their charter. That's their stated purpose. Kill the Jews. Destroy Israel. And that's what they're going to do if they get in charge in Egypt. And they're beginning to get in charge and more and more. Now, they may have a transitional government. I'm not saying the Muslim Brotherhood will be in charge tomorrow. But watch. That's why Jesus says several times, watch. And we are to watch these world events. It's exciting as we see the end approaching. And you young people need to realize the end is approaching not in a haphazard way. It is approaching exactly like we have taught, like the church of God taught. Billy Graham didn't teach that. Oral Roberts didn't teach that. And all these other so-called prophets, Robertson up here, Pat Robertson, he didn't teach that. None of the other ministers have taught that. They talk about the time of the end, and some of them talk about the Arabs. I know that. But they don't know how it's going to affect Israel and the state of Israel, and they have no idea how it's going to affect the United States and the British-descended nations because they don't have the key of Bible prophecy, which is the understanding of our national identity. And that they don't get. They are blinded to it. And even though we explain it to them and send out millions of booklets, they still won't acknowledge that. So you do understand those things, and we can understand where all this is turning. These nations are going to turn increasingly against America and Britain. And many of the signs, I saw them myself the last few nights on television, down with Israel, down with America, down with Britain. They connect us all up with the Jews, as you know, and they hate us too. And this is going to increase. It is not going to get better. It is going to get worse. So this chaos is all across the Middle East. What's going to happen to Israel? They're surrounded increasingly by these very violent, hate-filled nations, Muslim nations who hate the Jews. So we need to understand the looming danger for our Jewish friends and brethren over there and what's going to happen unless they repent and turn to God. And we hope they will, but frankly, just like our Americans, there's very little chance that that will happen. These nations are planning Israel's destruction. Some people may ask themselves, I don't think most of you do, but some of you brethren around the world may, or you young people who've just grown up in this world and think it's okay. Well, what about President Obama? He says he's going to solve this, and Secretary Clinton is talking all this nice stuff, and aren't they going to solve all these problems? No, they're not. They're not going to solve them. They've been talking for about 30 years about all this stuff. It's gone right on, right on, right on. They will not solve it. And when you turn to your Bible, I think, I uh, hope you'll turn now. Let's begin to get into the Bible here directly on this so we understand God's opinion. This is the inspired word of the Creator. Turn back to Psalm, the 33rd Psalm of your Bible. Turn to Psalm 33. I'm going to get a little of this tea here. God says in Psalm 33, verse 10, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. 
They're going to have a lot of counseling, a lot of meetings, but what is it going to happen? It bring, God brings it to nothing. They're not going to solve the problem. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom He has chosen as His inheritance. So we can be grateful for that, that God is in charge but we do need to fully understand that since the United Nations began and they had the big United Nations meeting and the charter up in San Francisco in 1948 and our human founder of the entire work of God in our time, Mr. Herbert Armstrong, was there in person. He had some press credentials at that time. What's happened since then? Has the world got better? Look around and read the newspapers. It has not got better, and it's not going to get better. They are not solving the problems, and they will not solve the problems. God brings their counsel to nothing. So what's going to happen to our friends, the Jewish people, and to others that are going to be affected by this Arab uprising and this whole revolt and catastrophe that's taking place across northern Africa and the Middle East? Turn back to Psalm 83. Psalm chapter 83 it says here, Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace. Do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult, and those who hate you have lifted up their head. They've taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. Well, God has blessed His people overall, and they've said, Come, and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. They're trying to exterminate that and even drive out that name for they have consulted together with one consent they form a confederacy against you against God and his purpose the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites who was Edom Esau when you read about he's one of the descendants of Abraham Esau and the Amalekites these people that God says he has a war forever with Amalek because they were so vicious in the way they attacked the stragglers when Israel was coming out and the Ishmaelites, these people are all getting together. They are the peoples of the Arab world today. Moab, Moab and Ammon are the peoples of modern Jordan today. And we've identified that. And way back in the days of Mr. Armstrong and Dr. Hayes, shown by the various history and so forth, they are the peoples of Jordan. Gebal, Ammon, of course, Ammon, uh, Ammon is the capital of Jordan. It comes right down from this word Ammon. They are the descendants of these people. And Amalek, you look back in the Old Testament in, in Genesis, I'll read it to you in a moment. Amalek is one of those people, one of the vicious, most vicious ones of all. Philistia, and then heavens of Tyre. Assyria, who's Assyria? Well, again, we've had entire articles on that, and we have a booklet, if any of you are new, write for it. The modern Assyrians are the German peoples. As I said, I'm partly German, and I'm mainly uh, Welsh is my name, and Scottish, and English, and Irish, but I'm maybe one-eighth or one-sixteenth German, and some of you are partly German. So we're not condemning Germans. We're just showing how God is using people with ability, and the Germans are great warriors. Churchill said the German Germans are either at your at your feel or at your throat or whatever because he saw how they'd put them down and then they'd come up again. And you read all during the Middle Ages how they were warlike and they're the ones that started World War One and they're the ones that started World War Two and they're the ones that are going to be the main leader in this beast power in World War Three. 
The Bible certainly indicates that Syria has also joined with them. They have helped the children of Lot. And, of course, that's Moab and Ammon and some of these nations that have turned on Israel. So they're going to have a terrible time. And he says, uh, he, bring them down. He says in verse 13, Oh, my God, make them like the whirling dust, like the chaff before the wind, and so on. Verse 17, let them be confounded and dismayed, these people of Assyria and these people of Jordan and, and Amalek. Among the Amalekites are the modern Palestinians. Many things indicate that this absolute hatred, fighting, fighting, killing, by their fruits you know them. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish. Why? that men may know that you, whose name is alone, the eternal, Y-H-V-H, the great God, the Creator, Yahweh, the one with life inherent within Himself, that's what that word means, are the Most High over all the earth. Men are going to have to be shaken to the depths of their being to come to realize God is God. And then they will begin to listen. So these things are going to happen and you're going to see these nations get together. Many of them were reading about and seeing on television. They'll get together in a confederacy over there and they're going to fight Israel. But later they're going to fight us as well. And later they're going to fight Christ himself, of course, at his second coming, along with, of course, the entire beast power. So they are people that are going to have to learn uh, some some terrible lessons. Let's go back and understand the nature of these people and how this thing is developing here. Turn back to Genesis 16, if you would, for a moment. Let's just go quickly over some of this here. Genesis chapter 16, and I want to begin ver reading in verse 12. Here he's talking about Hagar and her son and uh, what happened. And Genesis 16 and verse... Uh, 11, then he says, the angel said to her, Hagar, who had her, her, her son, of course, was the one who was Abraham's first son, Ishmael, the father of the Arabs, return to your mistress. The angel of the Lord said, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they cannot be counted. So there are a lot of Arab peoples. And the angel said, behold, you're with child, you'll bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael which means God, God hears because the eternal has heard your affliction. When she cried out, you know, God gave her a bottle of water, some things to take care of her child when they were put out. He shall be what? A very capable, nice man. He shall be a wild man. His name shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Those Arabs have traditionally, if they're not fighting us, they're fighting each other. And that's a matter of history. They just like to fight and fight. And you wonder, why are they always fighting? Well, that's their very nature. They had a whole article in the paper here the other day, the local paper. Then my wife said, she's, I read it to me, they have a whole exhibit up in Discovery Place trying to show how all the peoples are the same and all races are the same and all ethnic groups are the same. That's the modern idea. You know, we're all the same. There's no difference. Well, frankly, that's crazy. Most people always used to understand there is a basic difference. Oh, that's prejudice. No, that's not prejudice. That is understanding reality. You don't hate someone because they're different if you have God's Spirit, but you've got to understand that they're different. That helps you understand reality. 
They're also saying that men and women are basically different. We have similar genes and similar that and that, so it's okay for men to marry men and women to marry women, and what's the difference? And use different parts of your body for different things. God doesn't care, blah, blah, blah. God hates that. He calls that an abomination. He made women and men different for a wonderful purpose. He made the races different. He made the ethnic groups different for a purpose. And man's trying to override that and pretend that that is not so. And, of course, that is absolutely ridiculous. One of the easiest ways to disprove that is it is to disprove a lot of other things. It's a simplified way, of course. You could go on and on through far more uh, proofs about different peoples and nations, but just the one word, Jew. Why are the Jews at the top of the heap in virtually every area of intellectual capacity? A few years ago, I was talking to my sister, I think, at the time, and maybe Mrs. Lucy Martin. This is quite a number of years, I guess. But at that time, the top five violinists on earth were all Jews. They all happened to be men, too. Sometimes women are at the top. But they were, I don't remember all their names, but uh, uh, the different ones were all Jews. And they were the very best violinists on earth, Yasha Heifetz and, and uh, these other men. And then the top five pianists on earth were all men, too. Rubenstein and Horowitz and, and uh, uh, anyway, trying to, I can't remember all those now. Let's say it's been so many years. I had a list out of the Wall Street Journal about the top atomic and hydrogen scientists on the earth. They listed the most outstanding 50 men. And about 20 or 25 all had obviously Jewish names. And others were probably Jews. When you get down to many people who are named green and brown and black or whatever are Jews too when you find out what's behind them. A lot of you saw the old uh, movie the hero was supposed to be and look what it looked like and his name was Gentile but he was a Jew. And all through Hollywood you'll find these people who have Jewish background but their name is not uh, Jewish. They have gone underground some of them, some of them, their parents and grandparents did primarily, but literally millions of Jews went underground in Eastern Europe and Germany back during the pogroms, and they simply changed their name so they would be persecuted as a Jew. But they have a capacity, you'll find them way up at the top here and way up at the top that, because they have that capacity. Am I saying that because I'm a Jew? No, I am not a Jew. I can be very objective. I don't think I have one drop of Jewish blood of the tribe of Judah, so far as I know. I may have some Levitical blood. They weren't as brilliant as the Jews, though, as the Jewish people directly. The Levites tended to be the musicians in, in Israel, like my sister, and they tended to be the teachers in Israel, as me. I was, And most of my mother's relatives were all teachers. There's a tendency in different families to do certain things. That doesn't prove anything, although my mother's name was Kohane, and I told that to Dr. He says, that's Levitical. I told that to my friend Mordecai Joseph, who is altogether all Jewish from the Middle East, and immediately said, that's, you know, that's Levitical. So I may be partly Levite. God uses greyhounds to do what greyhounds do best. He uses bulldogs to do what bulldogs do best. You know what I mean. And that doesn't make us any better or any worse. It's just that we have certain strengths in certain ways. I have great big areas of my intelligence that are lacking. And uh, some are, have greater width and breadth of intelligence. But I'm good at certain things, and I should use those things. Anyway, God is in charge. And he described that the people of Ishmael, he would be a wild man. And that was the history of that, those people 
They talk about President Obama has tried to call uh, Islam a religion of peace. That is one of the most ridiculous things he ever said or I've ever heard anyone say about anyone at any time. The whole history is they started out as a religion of war. They had their wars going all through the Middle East. Convert to Islam or we'll kill you right now. That's how they started. They didn't have evangelistic campaigns by Billy Graham in a big tent saying, come forward and give your heart to the Lord. They sent their armies in there. And they got a lot of converts too. People do want to live, you know. It's nice to live. So they had a lot of converts all through the Middle East when they did that. But anyway, they're not a religion of peace and uh, are not going to turn out that way. Now, let's turn at this point to chapter 19, if you would, Genesis 19, and learn more about the background of some of these things here in uh, chapter 19 and verse 36 of Genesis. So I need to get here more quickly myself. It says, Thus the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. Most of you know that story, how Lot had to flee out of Sodom and got up in a cave, and his wife turned back and returned to a pillar of salt, and these two daughters actually seduced their father. They got him drunk and got pregnant by him. They were afraid that their family would just die out. So the firstborn, a son named Moab, he is the father of the Moabites. They're some of the people of Jordan today. The younger, called his name Ben-Ami, he's the father of Ammon to this day. So that they are the children of Lot, and Lot was a descendant of Abraham, but they are slightly buried people because of the background, of course, of the man and his wife, and that shows who they are in the Middle East. Then you turn on to chapter 27, Turn to chapter 27 of the book of Genesis, and we learn more about the background of some of these people. And I want to read here, uh, beginning in verse 38. Esau, remember, had the birthright taken away because he sold it for a bowl of lentil soup or something to his brother Jacob, who lied in getting the blessing. He got the blessing, but even our father Jacob was pretty crafty and pretty dishonest. He was totally carnal. And But he said, have you only one blessing? Bless me, my father. This is chapter 27, verse 38. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, so Isaac had Esau, Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. But Jacob's older brother was Esau, who got gypped out of the birthright partly and also partly because he treated it cheaply. He sold it for a bowl of soup. He wept. And his father answered, well, I have one blessing, so you're, you'll be away from, frankly, the fatness of the earth, the dew from above. By your sword you shall live, verse 40, and you shall serve your brother. Has that happened? Yes, unfortunately, all through the Middle East and those areas, why the Israelite, the British, and the uh, French and others have tended to run those nations. It shall come to pass when you become restless that you break his yoke from your neck. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him and said, After my father has died, I will kill my brother Jacob. So Esau didn't have a very great attitude either, as we can see. Those people have tended to have this enmity that just keeps on going. In chapter 28 now and verse 9, So Esau went to Ishmael, he took a wife uh, out of Ishmael's descendants. 
So he, his wives and his family are partly Ishmaelites who are wild men. God said they will have a wild nature. And that's one reason Esau has gotten into these various problems as well beside his own nature. So she, he took this woman to be his wife in addition to the other wives he had and so on. So that was Esau. And then you go on to chapter 36. If you turn over in Genesis here at this point to chapter 36. And let's begin reading here in verse 1. Chapter 36, verse 1. Now this is the genealogy of Esau, who is Edom. So when you read about Edom in the Bible, we know that they're among the descendants of Esau right there in the Middle East, and they're partly Ishmaelite as well because of these different wives that, uh, that he had. Esau took his wives from the daughter of Canaan, you see, which came down from uh, Ham. And one as you go on down in verse, uh, 80, uh, verse 8. So Esau dwelt in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. Again, it repeats that. Esau is Edom. And this is the genealogy of Esau, the father of the Edomites. These were the names of his sons, Eliphaz. And down in verse 11, the sons of Eliphaz were Temar, Omen, Omar, Zepho, Gadam, and Kenaz. Now, Timnah was the concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bore Amalek. So Amalek comes right down from Canaan, partly Canaan, through Esau and on down to Amalek. And Amalek, as you read the Old Testament, and I don't have time to go through all, we could have a whole sermon on Amalek sometimes. I don't know how profitable that would be, just something bad, so I doubt if we will. But study it in your Bible. God has a war with Amalek, continual war, because they have been a very hateful people. It seems like there's bad, a bad seed there, and God is going to utterly destroy them. God says that in His Word Himself. It, actually, they may be better off. Perhaps they will come up, I'm sure those who've already lived in the great white throne judgment, where they will have no devil to deceive them, but they always cause trouble. And you're going to have to see things like that happen. How can this happen? Well, God has permitted those things to happen, to teach human beings lessons. Brethren, He's teaching us lessons for all eternity and working these things out. So these people are all going to be confederate with Assyria, and they'll be getting together to destroy the Jewish people and to destroy the American and British descended peoples of the birthright. They're going to do that as well. Certainly that is indicated. Now let's turn back to the New Testament, to the book of Revelation, if you would, at this point. Revelation, and beginning in Revelation 17. Most of you are very familiar with that. In Revelation 17, it talks about this great whore who sits upon many waters. And he said in verse 3, I saw the woman sitting on the scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. Well, we know what that is. It's coming beast power. The woman is arrayed in purple and scarlet. Remember, purple is the symbol of royalty, and scarlet is the symbol of harlotry. So she's a royal harlot, adorned with gold and precious stones, a very rich woman, and throughout the Bible, the term woman is used as a symbol of a church. So she's a very rich church who has a sense of royalty, but also a harlotry. 
full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead, a name was written, Mystery. She has a whole mystery system. If you read the book, The Two Babylons, by Alexander Hislop, who was a Methodist minister way back in, not a wild man, but he explains how the ancient Babylonian mystery system has been brought right down through the Catholic Church with the ideas of heaven and hell and immortality of the soul and a priesthood and a mother goddess and all this other stuff at Christmas and Easter have been brought right down through the Catholic Church into Protestantism. When you read that book, it's a great uh, eye-opener if you haven't read it. There are other books like that, but that's a little bit more plain than most of them, and it helps you get the picture of what's really happened and how God permitted these things to develop. Mystery, Babylon the Great, she's a mother church, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And brethren, again, and you young people around the world, a lot of you uh, have had neighbors and friends uh, belonging to this big church, and they seem nice, and many of them are nice. As I said, the first one to ever knock me down in boxing was a girl, our neighbor girl across the street. And she was about four or five years older, and I was out kind of showing off the new boxing gloves my daddy got me and boxing little boys my age. And I thought, well, she's a taller girl and older. I don't care. She's a girl. I'll get her. And she whopped me, and I saw stars. And uh, they were a nice family. Uh, In spite of that, Cecilia was my age, and this was her older sister, Nancy. But the people don't understand what they're in. They can be very nice people. But this system has been filled with the blood of the saints and the martyrs of Jesus. That's what God says. And you read the history of the persecutions in the Middle Ages and the Catholic Inquisition. And you young people, please get a book. A lot of you get online. Look it up online if you want to. I'm sure they've got the truth there. I hope they do. Inquisition and see what it says. It will just open your mind to what happened for hundreds of years at where some of our ancestors who might have been Protestants or Church of God people were tortured. They put them on a rack and pulled them apart, burned at the stake, tortured until they died, all that kind of thing in the name of religion, in the name of Christ, in the name of the Virgin Mary, and all this kind of stuff. When I saw her, I marveled with a great admiration or amazement But the angel said, Why did you marvel? I'll show you the mystery of the woman, the beast. The beast you saw was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and so on. It's talking about this whole system, Rome, which fell in 476 A.D. You can read it was revived by Justinian, the Roman Empire, in 554 by Justinian. And then it carried right on with five more resurrections. And now it's going to have, of course, a final resurrection, a seventh resurrection of the Roman Empire. And some people have said, some of these prophetic people in the past, I don't know which one said, so I better not say, but people like Hal Lindsey and, and uh, you know, maybe Pat Roberts and others have said things like, well, this is going to be these Arab nations, this group of Arab nations, they've said, or the Chinese. Or, no, it's not. It's going to be right in Europe where that system has always been. That's where it's going to be. So some of these Protestant, so-called prophecy people, I'm not saying which one. I can't remember. I don't specialize in that. I don't specialize in error, so I don't always try to remember the error, but try to remember the truth. 
But at any rate, they've said those things because they don't understand. It's going to be the same system in the same place, but the same people, basically. And it's going to rise right up again. And there are seven heads, kings, I'm sorry, verse 10, five are fallen. So five at the time this was brought to attention to those who could understand after the invention of the printing press and the Reformation and the Renaissance, God raised up a man, Mr. Herbert Armstrong, put all this together where it could be understood. Five of the kings would fallen already of this revived Roman Empire coming right down through, as I said, Justinian and Charlemagne in 800 A.D. and so on and ending with Napoleon, and then Mr. Armstrong came along, and then you had an understanding. One is, there are seven kings, five are fallen. One is, and that would have been the Mussolini-Hitler dynasty, and Hitler and Mussolini, Mussolini directly claimed to be reviving the Holy Roman Empire. You read that in history. He claimed that, and his, with along with Hitler, was that sixth revival. Lasted just a little bit. God didn't let that. Some of those revivals lasted 20 or 30 or 100 years or more. That revival just lasted, what, they attacked Poland September 1st, 1939, and they were conquered in May, I think it was, 1945. So it lasted less than, less than six years. Very quick as God counts time. But he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not, verse 11, is himself also the eighth. So he's the eighth Roman system. There have been the original Rome and then six revivals, and he's the seventh revival, so he is the eighth and is of the seven. He's the seventh revivalist or the seventh revival and is going into perdition or destruction because the final Hitler, the final leader of the Roman Empire, is going to be taken by Jesus Christ himself. And I'll digress for a moment over here and I'll read this. It says in chapter 19 and verse 20, then the beast was captured. This is his coming Hitler, Revelation 19 and verse 20. And with him, the false prophet, the great final false prophet, who worked signs in his presence. And remember, my brethren, I'm not just talking to you, but you brethren around this world, you're going to say exciting things. Don't believe every sign that comes along. We need more signs ourselves. We know that. We're humble. We beg God. We should cry out to God to give us the gifts of the Spirit the right use of God's power. But there are going to be shining crucifixes in the dark and bleeding statues of the Virgin Mary and all kinds of stuff that is not like the Bible miracles at all, but there will be real miracles that cannot be explained scientifically. And God says in Revelation 13, verse 13, check back there if you're not familiar with it, Revelation 13, verse 13, this coming great false prophet, head of this false church, is going to literally bring fire down from heaven. That's what your Bible says. He sa it says that. He didn't say false fire. It says he will bring fire down from heaven. Fire is part of this earth's atmosphere, and Satan is the prince of the power of the air of this earth's atmosphere, and God is going to give Satan and his ministers power to do things like that. And that will happen with the lifetimes of many of you. Some of us may not be here to see it. We hope we will. But whoever, you carry on. You understand that. Don't quit. Don't give up on God. These things are happening just like we have been teaching for 61 years in my own experience. 
And I was hearing Mr. Armstrong say some of these things, not the very latest, of course, but all the basic things, when I came. The true church of God, guided by Mr. Armstrong, has taught these things, and no other church has taught these things. As Mr. John O'Gwen's wonderful booklet on the Beast of Revelation brings out in the very introduction, he talks about this newspaper reporter back in Hendersonville, Tennessee, who had this article that someone gave it to John O'Gwen out of the newspaper, and he's used that, and I've used it too. It's a wonderful little... I wish we had dozens more like that, but they must have been others, but we don't have them all. But he said when the Berlin Wall came down and all these nations suddenly got free back in the winter of 1989 and 1990, you know, the Poles and the Czechs and the Hungarians and the Romanians and the Estonians and Latvians and Lithuanians and all that, they suddenly broke free from the Russian bear. And, and it was astonishing to people. The newspaper reporters were scratching their heads. They hadn't predicted that. They didn't understand that. Billy Graham did not understand that remotely. And, of course, Gerald, uh, uh, what's his name up here, did not understand that. And, and uh, Oral Roberts and all the old prophecy preachers, they weren't saying that, none of them. But he said it was a shock to many people, this newspaper reporter. He said it was not a shock to me because I have been reading for the last few years the writings of Herbert W. Armstrong, who said that this was going to happen. And Mr. Armstrong did say that. I heard him say that for years at some of you older brethren. I'm sure Mrs. A, Mrs. A Partian, uh member saying some of those things about the Eastern European nations bringing, breaking free long before it happened. And it did happen. We were the only ones who understood. So God's going to take the false prophet and the beast who worked, and the false prophet who worked signs and deceived them in his presence and he's going to cast them into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. That's what will happen to them. You'll be tempted to follow them because it will look like that's the way to go. Everybody around you will be going that way, my brethren here, and you brethren in Melbourne and down in Sydney and Perth and, and uh, you know, Cape Town and wherever you are on this earth. It'll be tempting. Everyone around you will be going that way. Don't you go that way. You obey the God of the Bible, the God of heaven, because these two guys who will look so important are suddenly going to be gone. We had a couple of guys who looked very important in the church after Mr. Armstrong's death. They thought, wow, look at them. They're so important. And some of the brethren say, oh, Mr. So-and-so and so-and-so. And I said, yeah, oh, I'm sorry about that, but I, I wasn't very impressed with them. I knew they were there for a short time. I knew they were teaching heresy. I knew they'd be gone. And suddenly they are both gone. That is, one is totally gone, and the other's little group is going down to nothing because he's turned away from God. And God will always do that with people who turn away from God. God is in charge. He brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. So we do want to understand that God is in charge. Anyway, he says here, and he says that verse 12, now back in Revelation 17, 12, the ten horns which you saw are ten kings. Brethren, he doesn't say they're ten nations. Remember, we used to say nations. We learned to say ten kings. There might be ten major leaders but each one of them might be over two or three nations. There could be 27 nations or 20. We don't know. But there will be 10 major leaders. And are they going to be conquered? You know, in the beginning of the, of the Second World War, the Germans suddenly overran 
and went around actually north of the Maginot Line. And, of course, in Churchill's speeches he described, I was hearing one just the other night where he talked about behind all this lies a group of shattered states, the French, the Belgians, the Danes, the Dutch, the Norwegians, how they were all crushed by Adolf Hitler and his armies. They didn't voluntarily join Hitler. They were crushed. Is the beast going to overrun them with a bunch of tanks and guns? No. They will give their power. You see, it's a whole different way. This coming Hitler is going to be more clever. He's going to be more sophisticated. He's going to be more charismatic. He will present himself a a wonderful great leader and he's just bringing these nations of Europe together and now we won't be fighting each other because we're having all this wonderful United States of Europe and we're all together and we're going to have one great religion so there won't be any more religious wars and we can all worship together. And isn't that wonderful? That all sounds wonderful except God has predicted it ahead of time and shown exactly what it's going to end up being. So they will give, notice this verse 12, uh, who have no kingdom as yet, these ten kings, but they receive authority for hour, one hour, very short time, with the beast, the coming Hitler. These are of one mind, verse 13, and they will give, see, they voluntarily give their power and authority to the beast. So they're lured into this. They're not conquered by German tanks. These, who are these? Well, all this great combine in Europe, hundreds of millions of people involved in this. The French and the Italians and the Spanish and Portuguese and no doubt many other nations all through Europe and Eastern Europe and this great army that they'll get together. Catholic nations mainly, Roman Catholic armies. Are they going to love Jesus Christ and worship God? No. These will make war with the Lamb. They'll make war with Christ. And the Lamb will overcome them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. And by that time, we feel now we will actually be in God's kingdom and we'll maybe have gone up in the wedding supper and come down and be part of that army to help deal with those people. We'll have the honor to bind their kings and nobles with fetters of iron, as it says back in Psalm 149. This honor have all His saints. But, brethren, think about it. Think about verse 14. Can you imagine how the vast majority of the Western world, the world we grow up in, hundreds of millions of professing Christians will be so deceived, so terribly deceived, that they will literally fight Christ at His second coming? I have a wonderful CD, my wife and I do, from Roger Bryant, the former music teacher at Big Sandy College. And some of you who were there remember his beautiful tenor voice and these beautiful songs. And one of them is talking about how when Christ comes back, he'll be so, I forget how he puts it, the song goes, happy in that day and and just filled with delight and exultant. When I usually, I didn't used to think that, but once in a while it dawns on me, no, a lot of people won't be so happy when Christ, that kind. they'll be shooting special rockets at him. They'll be trying to kill him and destroy him. They'll be so blinded, they won't be so happy like that song says. They will be deceived, probably billions of human beings, because the Arabs won't like it, the Muslims won't like it, and the Chinese communists won't like it, and the false Christians in Europe won't like it. Who will like it? Hopefully we will like it if we hang on. We've got to hang on for dear life. 
We will like it. Our tears will come to our eyes, tears of joy. Finally, he's coming again. But they will fight him at his second coming. So anyway, we want to realize the depth of deception among these people. And brethren, that's another part of this that we need to understand as time goes on. Let's turn back to Matthew 24 now. Matthew 24 at this point and uh, see what Jesus said. I often start there, and that might sound boring to start there, so we're coming to it later here. But this is one of the most thorough descriptions of the big picture of prophecy in the entire Bible. Matthew 24 is even more thorough than Mark 13 or Luke 21, which also give the same account of the Olivet Prophecy. And he describes how they ask Jesus in verse 3, when will these things be the sign of your coming? And the end, not the end of the world, the earth is not a good boy, but the end of the age, this 6,000-year age of human rule under the devil. Jesus answered, the first thing, what? Take heed that no one deceive you, for many will come in the name of Christ. They won't come in the name of the devil. They'll say, I'm a Christian minister. I'm a Christian Bible teacher. I'm a Sunday school teacher. They come in Christ's name. And what do they say? They'll say, I am the Christ. They'll tell you about little Lord Jesus away in a manger and about, you know, Christmas and silent night, holy night and mother and child and all those wonderful memories many of us good old Methodists and Baptists had as we sang about the snowman and, and heard... Uh, Heard Derbingle, you know, Bing Crosby saying White Christmas, the snow's coming down. It literally is on Christmas, but very nice family time. And the devil uses family time and Christmas trees and pretty lights to make everything seem real nice. Except he deceived people by presenting a false God, a false Christ, a false purpose of human existence. As I've said before, brethren, think about it. In tomorrow's world, I really do believe, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure it will be a little different, of course. We can have pretty things. God's not against pretty things. And we will have pretty music, and we will have wonderful family celebrations, but at the Feast of Tabernacles, you know, and other times, but it will be done in the right way. Nothing wrong with pretty lights and pretty music. It's just the devil uses them for the wrong thing. We can have those things ten times better under the inspiration and direction of Jesus Christ in tomorrow's world. So they will deceive many. So what's the first thing to happen? False religion. What's the first seal to be opened back in Revelation 6? The man on the white horse. False religion. That's beginning now more than ever. As thousands of people in Britain go back to Mother Rome, as additional millions of people around the world start to move back to that, I think you're going to see not a, 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 a downturn of religion, but an upturn of religion, contrary to what people think, because people are going to be scared by these events, and they're going to turn to religion in a big way. But they'll turn to wrong religion. False prophets, that's going to come in the next few years. You young people, watch it happen. It will happen. Then comes the wars and rumors of wars and nation. And as some have pointed out, the literal Greek word here is ethnos, little ethnic groups. In other words, the different Arabs fighting each other over there. It isn't all major nations, little ethnic wars. And the wars in Northern Ireland between the Protestants and the Catholics, all kinds of stuff like that's going to get worse all over the world. And it is. More than has ever happened in human history. It's going to increase. That's next. 
Then it says there will be famines. They're coming later. And this terrible flooding, drought for seven years in vast parts of Australia, and then now the worst flood in, in, uh, in modern history in Australia, vast parts of their wheat-growing areas in vast parts of the United States are going to be hit by alternating drought and flood in Canada, then there will be famines and lack of food, and then there will be disease epidemics. They'll all come in that order. And then earthquakes. It doesn't say earthquakes just in America and Britain in various places, but massive earthquakes shaking the earth more than has ever happened in modern history. Then is going to be the religious persecution, the fifth seal. Then they will deliver you, the true saints of God, that's us if we're faithful, up to tribulation, and kill you, and you will be hated by who? A few oddballs down the street? No, brethren, this work will be known far more than we are now. That won't make us better. It will make be more in more danger, perhaps. I hope you won't jip, jump, jip pre prematurely, so to speak, because it's not going to be all fun stuff. But you will be rewarded eternally if you have faith in God. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and betray one another. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of what? The kingdom of God, the coming government of God. We've got to emphasize the kingdom is coming. He said, when you get down on your knees, lift up your hands and say, Our Father, God is the Father of all humanity. Our Father who art in heaven, what's the first thing you ask for? Thy kingdom come. And most people pray that. I prayed that for 19 years in my Protestant church. I never had any understanding of what it meant. I thought, well, I guess that means something good or we'll all go to heaven or something. They never explained it. A literal government set up on this earth under Jesus Christ. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're to pray that. Then he says a little bit later, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a witness, not to convert everybody, but at least a witness to them. And we've got to do that. God commands us to do that. And in verse 15, then it says, after this, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, then let those in Judea flee to the mountains. After these things happen, false religion, wars and ethnic wars and drought, famine, disease epidemics and religious persecution, then when this false idol is put up in Jerusalem and the other things the Bible indicates coming sacrifice in Jerusalem, then the hair had really been ought to stand up on the back of your neck, so to speak. When that happens... The abomination of desolation put in a temple or on an altar, whatever it is, just before at the time of the end, that will be the sign that the tribulation is imminent, perhaps within days or hours or certainly months, not years. So that's a huge sign that's going to take place at that time. Now, brethren, let's turn back to Daniel 11 now. Daniel 11. And notice what God inspired the prophet Daniel to tell us. I'd like to read all of this, <clears throat> but there's not time. I've often read this part back at the beginning in verse 31, describing now, you know, the people at the time of the end, uh, there's going to be a forces to defile the sanctuary fortress. 
and take away the daily sacrifices. I should read that, I guess. And place there the abomination of desolation. That's one of those places where Daniel said that. Daniel 11, verse 31. So they're going to do that, and they're going to take away the daily sacrifices. Watch the Middle East. Watch these Arab nations. Watch the beast power making some kind of treaty with this coming power there and allowing them to start up with daily sacrifices because they cannot be taken away unless they're started. So there's going to be some daily sacrifices beginning, and then there's going to be this terrible time with this beast power who does not even worship any god but himself, described in following verses. And in verse 40, And at the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen. He shall enter the countries and overwhelm them and pass through. Now, this perfectly describes the German military machine because that's the very term used almost by the Germans themselves during World War II. They called it Blitzkrieg or Lightning War, and it was, of course, a very powerful, swift-moving force that they had, and it's going to come against them like whirlwind. The northern beast power, which was historically and has been historically proved to be the Roman Empire, It was Syria at one time, but Rome conquered Syria, and then it became the king of the north. So then when the king of the south provokes the king of the north, then they're going to come down like a whirlwind, and and then the king of the north retaliates with great power because they're far more technological capable, and they will have much better ships and planes and rockets and all the modern implements of war and overwhelm them. And so we need to understand this. Brethren, watch this Arab group in, in uh, Egypt and elsewhere. There's going to be some type of unity that the Bible calls the king of the south. The king of the south. One false prophet today among God's churches says it's going to be in Iran. It is not going to be in Iran. That Iran is northeast of Jerusalem. It's going to be in Egypt or Saudi Arabia or south of Jerusalem. When the Bible gives things like this, he always designates them from the point of view of Jerusalem. So it's the king of the south, not the king of the northeast. It is not Iran. I'm just going to say that to God's people all over the world so you can figure out what's going on. It's going to be probably Egypt historically. It always has been Egypt, as some of the commentaries say in some of the preceding uh, verses here in chapter 11. It was the king of the south in previous years, in previous uh, centuries. But the king of the south then will provoke or attack. Will attack? I don't know if necessarily attack. The King James says that. But it's going to provoke can also be translated that way. They may cut off the oil supply as you see, from Europe, which needs that oil for their armed forces, they may provoke them in some other way. They're already provoking them, as you read the news accounts, by millions of their people coming in there into Germany and France, and the French are not letting the women wear their burqas in, in the schools and various places anymore, and that's making the Arabs mad. And now the Germans are beginning to turn against them in that way, and they're coming in and trying to take over and these uh, Muslims will lie down in the street, you know, hundreds of them with their rear ends up, and they're praying there in the street and blocking traffic right in London. 
Some of the accounts have shown that. They'll block traffic and they they just, they're arrogant. They think they can just take over and everyone has to do what they say. They do not have to take over. But the people are used to putting up with that. And at some point, the Europeans are going to turn against that whole approach. And maybe they're going to be provoked even further by the Arabs cutting off their oil supply and other things of that sort. We don't know what it'll be, but it may be a series of things. But they're going to big, uh, big time provoke them. And then the European beast power with great techn- technological superiority will come swooping down like a whirlwind and overthrow them. He, this coming beast, the king of the north, shall also enter the glorious land, that's Palestine, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape from his hand. Notice which ones. Edom, Moab. Why? Because as we read in Psalm 83, those nations have already entered a treaty with Assyria. They've had a treaty with them already. They're already cooperating with them, so they won't be conquered in this final thing. And the people of Ammon, Ammon is the capital of Jordan, he shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. Why does he particularly mention Egypt? Probably because Egypt will be, as I say, probably the king of the south. My guess, and I'm not trying to say, but my guess it will be either Egypt or Saudi Arabia. If it's an overwhelming religious thing, I have a modern caliphate where you have a powerful religious leader, a powerful political leader combined, or some call him a Mahdi, that same type of approach. Then it could be from Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia is the religious capital of the Arab world. You know, that's where Mohammed began his famous flight uh, from uh, Mecca to Medina. And so that it could be uh, someone there. But either Egypt or Saudi Arabia are both directly south of Jerusalem. So we don't know which one. Egypt shall not escape. He'll have power over the treasures of gold, silver of Egypt. So it keeps mentioning Egypt. Also, the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. So they're going to be apparently following him. But news from the east and the north shall trouble him, this coming Hitler. Finally, the Russian hordes over there are going to get alarmed, along perhaps with communist and Mongol and Indian allies, and they're going to come across for this final battle. They'll say, wow, this European power is getting ready to take over the whole world. We better stop them. You've got to have the balance of power. That's the way the nations always look at it. So there'll be this final war down in the Middle East. Therefore, he'll go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. But he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. He's going to come right to Jerusalem. And he shall come to his end. But no one shall help him. We just read about that. In Revelation 19 and verse 19, Christ will throw him and the false prophet into the lake of fire, and no one will help him. Because <laughs> Christ is the king of kings. He's going to conquer, and he brings the plans of the nations to nothing. So we have to understand that and worship God and look forward, of course, uh, to his intervention in these things. And then into chapter 12, into chapter 12, and at that time... So it's right at that time when this final battle takes place and these Arab nations are crushed by the king of the north, the beast power, and then finally the the coming beast will be himself crushed. At that time, not right after that, but right during that time, Michael shall stand up. 
Michael, of course, means Prince of God. Ale, one of God's names. And the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. God has angels and archangels, and in this case, cherubs, watching over certain aspects of world affairs. And Gabriel, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer were the three great archangels or cherubs, and Lucifer turned aside from God. But Gabriel seems to be the chief messenger to bring various messages, and then Michael is the special archangel, cherub, to watch over his people Israel. So Michael comes to their aid, and there shall be a time of trouble. What is that time? The great tribulation described so many times, such as never was. It's described back in Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 9, if you want to read about it. It's described in Matthew 24, 21, and so on. It's described back in Jeremiah 30, verses 4 to 7. A time of trouble such as never taken place against Israel to that time. The great tribulation. And at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. If we're written in God's book, if we walk with God. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth, some of God's people will be dead in their graves. As I've said, I'd kind of like to be there in Mountain View Cemetery up above Pasadena uh, when the last trumpet sounds. Because there's going to be a rate roaring and breaking out of the earth, <laughs> you know. Here comes Mr. Armstrong, and here comes Mrs. Armstrong, and here comes, you know, all the people of God out there. That'll be one of the biggest shaking in the whole world, I think, at that time. Mr. Ames has said the one near Big Sandy may be just as big. I don't know, because a lot of the older people retired and went to this retirement home there and died there. So a lot of people are going to be, is it Gladewater Cemetery? Gladewater, not Big Sandy. But at any rate, there are going to be a lot of people come out of the earth. They shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise, my brethren, you here, you brethren in Perth and Cape Town and you brethren in London and you brethren in all these other places around the world, please understand, let's be wise. Let's understand these things. Let's get excited. We're at the time of the end. We're entering the gun lap. We have a few more years to do this job. We have a few more years to lay up treasure in heaven. We have a few more years to be the people of God and help reach our people while we have the opportunity. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness, that's what we're trying to do, shall shine like the stars forever and ever. So let's be wise, brethren. We have a tremendous calling. We are beginning the gun lap. And when that gun lap bang, suddenly sounds, we need to get that adrenaline. Say, go, go, go. We're at it. We're going to finish it. We're going to do it. We're going to reach this war. We're going to warn our people out there before it's too late. We're going to spread this message all over the world. Let's have spiritual adrenaline and finish the job with all of our hearts and really mean it. And then we will be rewarded and we will shine like the stars forever and ever in the kingdom of God and the very family of God, and bear the name of God forever.